0: Oh Niranjanam Nityam Anantarupam Bhaktanukam Nukam Padritavikraham Vai Isha Vataram Parameshamidyam Jananim Saradam Devim Ramakrishnam Jagat Gurum Padapadme Tayo Sritwa muhu. Namasri Yetirajaya Vivekananda Surai such Sukhaswarupaya disukas, waru We are going to conclude the discussion on Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga. Uh,
1: Most probably from the next week, we will start Bhagavad Gita. So today, while taking the last portion of Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga, we will find that the few passages which are left out for discussion As we study those few passages, we will find Swami Vivekananda is making Karma Yoga a very, very universal way of life. It's not only meant for those who are the believers. Even the so-called non-believers, the atheists, can really think of it as a way of life. Karma Yoga is as a way of life without resorting to any belief whether God is or not, whether for doing karma we go to heaven or not, all those, we don't know. It's for us a matter of belief. And there may be non-believers who say we only believe in reason, only rationality. With the human intellect, you may say it is limited, it doesn't have the scope of uh, knowing everything. But I have made up my mind that with the rational mind, whatever is known, I have to. I will lead my life with that as my uh, resource. I am not going to resort to any sort of belief. Swami Vivekananda in this last few passage will be just giving the karma yoga a wonderful turn, which you will find nowhere in our even in our scriptures. You will find nowhere to be a karma yogi somehow. The faith of the divine is, has to be a precondition. Swami Vivekananda, when he went to the West, where he found that already the trend of not believing something which is beyond reason. So where we find that Avatara is always there out of compassion, he comes down to relate to the level of existence where we are. If we are non-believers, he is not there to blame us. He will come down to us and hold on to us as non-believers and try to help us to move out from this quagmire called this human existence. But after all, the thing which we cannot deny, whether we are a believer or not, that suffering is sometime, something which we cannot avoid. And if some way of life can be, prescribed, where we can go beyond the suffering, we can experience some, etern- some ineffable joy in our life. That can be a really a big motivating factor. Now Swami Vivekananda in his last few passages will be moulding Karma Yoga in those lines so that even those who don't believe in God, they can also find a way out from the sufferings through which we as humanity go through. So now let us go to the text. I won't read the entire text. I will just take up the lines and a few lines from here and there of the last few passages and just go on the discussion just to highlight the points which Swamiji is saying. So from the Swamiji's uh, words, when the idea of doing good becomes a part of his very being, then he will not seek for any motive outside. The idea of doing good becomes a part of his very being. He won't seek any motive from outside. It's very interesting what he's saying. That generally, what's the idea of Karma Yoga? That we, through Karma Yoga, through uh, that Karma Yoga speaks of action without desire. So by that what we do, either those who uh, believe in liberation, that that will help us to expend the impulse of actions which has started this life, there is a prarabdha, which we cannot stop even if you understand that this life is as such uh, not going to be of any avail. We can uh, just cannot think that let us be that what you say, that get detached from life and just live the life without any action. We cannot do that. That's as in the Bhagavad Gita, it has been mentioned, sharira yatra pi chatena, that even for maintaining your body, you need to work. We have to take our food, we have to sustain our body with the various actions. So, without work, we cannot stay. Just even if you are detached to certain action, the actions should go on. So I cannot, till my death, I cannot think of having a life without action. In some form or other, action is something, is a must. So the karma yogi, those who believe in liberation, those who believe in going to some different level of existence, the bhaktas speak of going to the plenary existence, which is consciousness and consciousness alone, which has nothing of this material world, it's there, They, with their limited individually, enjoy the eternal happiness in the association with the divine. So whatever may be the idea, the idea is that I do the kar- karmas without any attachment, so that I can have a better uh, uh, existence after my death, after this postpartum existence is something which Will be uh, awarding me, awarding me with all the happiness, the joy, which is going to be eternal. So, this is a matter of beliefs, which is is something for which the motivation is outside of you. So, Swamiji here is saying that there is no need to have a motive from outside. Now, it becomes very easy nowadays to understand because even in the modern uh, psychology, They speak that our genes are altruistic. There is no need to seek any motivation outside because doing good is inherent in us. Throughout the creation you will find that the doing, we will go to the discussion today a bit elaborately, that doing good is inherent in us. That our genes are altruistic. Why? We are not bringing the idea of God, anything. That even you will find that without the idea of God, we understand that seeing someone suffering, sympathy wells up. Even if I just forget the idea that God has programmed sympathy in my heart, I just take myself to be a biological creature. Can we deny the fact that sympathy, empathy, something is there which wells up when we see others suffering, especially when my near and dear ones are suffering, it wells up. So from where that mechanism is happening, the moment you take food, your stomach starts secreting enzymes that is going to digest the food. Similarly, when I see someone suffering, I may just forget about uh, the divine being has implanted that sympathy. There are some chemical reactions, just take chemical reactions going on within the body. Certain hormones are secreted, which speaks of sympathy. And when I, out of sympathy, do something, I feel good. I feel a type of high that speaks of certain hormonal secretion. So we cannot deny that. So Swami is saying, let us forget about all the motives outside. Rest to good we do. Let us do good because it is good to do good. Why it is do, uh, good to do good? See, so it has been scientifically proven that nowadays, you know, when you uh, that. Those who are runners, those who every day go out for running, they become addicted to it because they say there is something called runner's high. So when you are running, your brain's pleasure center lights up, you start releasing a lot of endorphins, and that gives you a sense of high. They call it runner's high. In modern psychology, they call that there is something similar to it, which is called helper's high the moment when you help others immediately the brain's pleasure centers lights up and the endorphins the this pleasure hormone the endorphins they, they start secreting and they, which produce that high tremendous high you, you get a peak of something like ecstasy as we gave that example when we as a uh, the authority in the school is to insist the student to serve the Prasadam on special occasions to uh, what you say that uh, all the huge gathering, the crowd used to uh, come. So it was a huge task. At the beginning, they will never agree to do that. But once they start, even when their slot is over, someone, the volunteers are supposed to come and take over that work. They're not willing to leave it. They have started getting that helper's high. It is a very common phenomenon. Those who do any sort of volunteer activities, they get addicted to it. They will do it again and again and again. Because that gives a tremendous high. It is a scientifically proven fact. Now let us try to understand why it happens. We can understand it from the biological point of view. You know, the entire biological evolution, forget about spirituality. The entire biological evolution, how it has happened. That even as a student of science, we will believe that life never started as per the design theory that we were God-willed and we were born as a human directly. So, that's a matter of belief, we will say. The science will say, what it will say? That we started as a single cellular organism, as a microbe. Let us forget, we are not denying that divine theories are all bogus. Let us just take the standpoint of the non-believer that we started as a microbe and the evolution process started. But interesting. As a single cell, the moment we were just having that awareness as a single cell, what's that awareness? That, any, that within a certain stimuli I exist, if there is a bit more heat, I will I'd perish. If it is a bit more cold, I perish. If humidity is more, I die. If humidity is less, I die. In the ocean, there are various layers of existence. If I move up, the pressure is less and I bust out. If I go below, the pressure is so high, I get crushed. So everywhere I find there is limitations of my existence. And how the evolution happened? Now the states, this all these unicellular organisms started conglomerating and started dividing the labor so that they can cope up with the environment, with the challenges of nature in a much well-equipped fashion so that their limitations can be broadened out. They can think of a more broader spectrum of their existence. Very interesting. Here itself you will find what is happening as a single cellular organism, if at all we think of that amnes, it was all, though it was instinctual, most probably it was not that tremendous self awareness which we have of our existence. It was instinct, but that's still that instinct of amnes was there, which it found that his very, very narrow bandwidth of existence. What it did, that amnes has started becoming non-local from the very first step of evolution. What it is doing? It is conglomerating the various cells. Now no more that MS is linked to that only one cell. It has already spread in that group of cells. Now you're evolving. At each and every step, what is happening, the more the conglomeration is happening their sense of amnesty, just do I feel that the, when I am existing that each and every, so many cells that constitute my body. Does each and every cell has an amnesty? No. As a whole, with all this, this entire, with all the cells, with all the organs, with all my various body parts, I think it as a whole, as one I. So all the cells in the process of evol- evolution, is as if renouncing their amnes, which was limited just to that singular cell. It is pervading more and more. It is becoming more and more non-local. So the more we are evolving, the more the ego from a single cell. It is now becoming more and more non-local. It is now pervading so many all the cells, all the organs, which we constitute of together gives that sense of amnes. So the process of evolution is very interesting. What is happening, though we are biologically evolving, but it is happening with the, what you see, this, uh, this the ego is getting more and more pervasive. It is losing its locality. It is becoming more and more non-local. And that's the thing which has become our nature. Whenever by cooperation, by win win, we get a develop a win win situation, there is a synergy, there is a symbiosis. We feel that we can cope up with the nature in a much better way, and that gives us that sense of joy. What's the sense of joy? That what's the sense of well being? The more we are cooperated, the more we are working as a team, the more we are synergistic. The word synergy, what actually it means that in mathematics, two plus two is four. But in biology, when in our so-called biological system, it doesn't follow that mathematical calculation. Two plus two is never four, two plus two is greater than four. How it happens that as a single cellular organism, the way I can deal with the nature when I get conglomerated. Now, I will find that even if we all remain separately and try to deal with the nature, it was not possible. When the moment we conglomerate, we synergized, now the effect becomes something great, which is always this is the, uh, the, this is the whole is always greater than the summation of the parts. That's what the definition of synergy is. If you just sum up the parts, the whole is greater than the summation of the parts. To understand it, we'll give a common example. Suppose take a log of wood, a plank, which I have, which I'm using as a bridge across a, a narrow, so there is a narrow trench across that I have kept to use it as a bridge. And most probably it can take the weight of 100 kgs. And now if I put another plank over it, as per mathematics, now I can take 200 kg, but you will find it is always greater than that. It may take 250, 300 kgs now, the moment you keep two of the planks together. So it is no more the mathematical calculation is working there. So this is the thing which we is meant as synergy, that the summation of the parts is, the whole is always greater than the summation of the parts. So this is the thing which speaks of evolution. The Darwin's theory of evolution is not negated that way but at the same time synergy explains it in a much better way now in the modern uh, biology they speak of this uh, cause of evolution is synergy symbiosis how that wherever the group the teamwork happened in a better way they those those uh, particular group of organisms those species they coped up with the nature much in a much better way and they survived and those who were thinking of their own individuality as a separate existence, they couldn't cope up with the nature. They became extinct. So, but all this thing was happening, happening as per the instinct. In the human being, what happened? That instinct, In the place of the instinct, the reason came. That I, as a uh, being, have a choice. I have a responsibility. The word responsibility means response ability. I have the ability to respond to the stimuli in a particular way. Till the human being, all others were guided by the instinct. So they need not have to decide. It was the nature itself have decided that they are bound to cooperate even unknowingly to really evolve out coming, this human, this human being is in the apex of the evolution, where we find that the reason is taking the place of the instinct. Now I can, re, that I have the ability to respond to a stimuli as per my choice, that I may cooperate, I may not. So now you will find very interesting thing. The more we are selfish, the more we are having the localized ego. The more you are thinking of yourself, even you go to the psychologist who says that I am extremely depressed, I am constantly having a lot of worries. Even the psychologist will say, try to divert your attention from yourself to others. Do some volunteer work. Try to get involved in some productive activities. If you go to the psychologist, they will ask you to do the same thing. What, why, why it is happens, here also, the more you are localizing your ego by thinking of yourself, the entire process of evolution has happened where we were non-localizing our ego. We were more and more pervading through cooperation. As a human being, we have the choice. Now the instinct is not working. As per our choice, we have the responsibility. We, can, we are able to choose our response and I choose to be selfish. I will think only of myself. Yes, physically, I may really prosper. You may have a lot of wealth, but at the cost of your mental well being, because you are going contrary to the entire process of evolution. And you will find the more we are self centered, the more you are stressed, the more you are careworn, the more you never feel good. And the moment you reach out, the moment you become unselfish, you try to do something good. Doing good means, as in the scriptures, it has been very nicely mentioned. What is good? Paro papaya parapiranam. That whenever you are trying to reach out through altruism, that is punya, that is good. And what is not good, what is evil? Parapiranam. Whenever you are trying to hurt someone, that is evil. So here you will find that whenever we are trying to help others, how it is good? Not because that, in heaven, something is waiting for me to reward me. No. Here itself, I get the cash down payment. Our Sridhar Ji, uh, whenever in Sydney or here also, I think previously I've heard his lecture. This is the term which he uses, that immediate when a daily laborer works, he gets the cash down. Immediately, the work is over, he gets the cash down payment. So here also the same thing happens. No external motivation is required. The moment you do good, you immediately get the cash down present. That's why all those who are involved in volunteer activities, they're addicted. They go for it again and again and again. It gives a sensation of that feel good, that helpers high you get. So let us take that to be the motivation. That's what Swamiji is starting. So let let us read that line. That let us, that why? that uh, we should do good, then he will not seek for any motive outside, let the idea of doing good be, become a part of our being. Let us not seek for any motive outside. Let us do good because it is good to do good. It is good to do for you good means it is really, it's actually helping you. How much it is helping the world you forget, but it is helping you even biologically Let us not think in the spiritual sense that I am becoming more and more unselfish, I am becoming spiritual forget. It is biologically doing us good. Just take this, your psychophysical existence, it is doing good. So now, Swamiji, let us again go back to the words of Swamiji. He who does good work, even in order to get to heaven, binds himself down, says the Karma Yogi. So even those ideas of going to heaven and all, with that, if you do any action that are not for my own self, I do good so that at end I get mukti or I go to heaven. So you're binding yourself. What Swamiji says is very interesting. Any work that is done with any, the least selfish motive, instead of making us free, forges one more chain for our fit even with all those ideas of going to heaven and all, is a bondage. Let us try to understand that what Swami is speaking, that as just now we discussed, that as per the entire evolutionary process, that happiness has always been actually a cash down payment the moment we tend to be altruistic. But as human beings, we bind ourselves by always making the happiness a future tense. At each and every step, the moment we make it a future stand, we are binding ourselves. How we are binding? That you are not getting happiness. You are in a circle. You're in a circle of avidya karma karma. Let us forget the spiritual side, that the happiness is something future. Let us give common example throughout our life, what is happening? As a small child, we find that our parents were motivating us to study hard, be a bit disciplined. Why? Well, in primary school, it's okay, but when you go to high school, the pressure will build up. You cannot cope up with it. If you really want to continue with your studies, go to some higher academics, well, study well so that you can uh, get chance in some selective school and your scope for getting admission in some professional courses is much more, uh, What is broadened. So for the small child, the happiness is in future, that he has to study well, and he will get chance in some selective school and his life will be better. He goes to the selective school, now father and mother is again putting the benchmark still ahead. You have to be in some professional schools, uh, courses. You have to get either in medical or uh, this, uh, in psychology or law or whatever it is so that you can future, in future you can prosper. So again, he studies hard, with that benchmark, which is in future. When at last with all his attempt, he goes there. Again, the same question. Now that that he cannot think of easy life. In the first year, for the first few days, he found that the life, he may think, but I have got a chance in the medical college. Within a few months, he or she realizes it's not going to be a very easy job. Has to study hard to really be established in his profession. Again, to get established in his profession is studying hard. Future. Again, when you think, when you are just got a good job, now you think of that, yes, now I have to be a, what you say is established persons, have a stable life, that if now I get married, and then again, I can have a very nice life. Future tense. After when you married, then you, let us have children When children, then you know that the process now, that the education, everything is going on. When the children grow up, their education is over, they are established, then we will be happy. Again, future. Now the children are established at last. You most probably you find time, you give your time for spiritual pursuits or whatever it may be. Again, with the aim that after my death, that some good, there's other locals are waiting for me, where I go and I will be happy. So what has happened throughout your life, happiness has become a future tense. It is never at present with all your activities, you're constantly worried and tension by pushing the happiness all in the future tense. We forgot as long as it was instinctual, Happiness was something which was the be all and in all existence by being altruistic. The genes were built up that way. The moment you're altruistic, you're happy, it's a cash down payment. So that's why Swamiji is saying even the idea of going to heaven, which is something future, which we don't know, is a way of binding ourselves. Let us forget all those things. Just to do good is good. Doing good is good. It is good for me. Have the motivation from within. So let us again go to the words of Swamiji. So the only way is to give up all the fruits of work to be unattached to them. Means to give the fruits means I am not result oriented, but I'm performance oriented. I'm doing the work perfectly, but the result I know that what's the karma yoga? It's not only for me. This whatever work I am doing, it's the, as a whole, the society is getting the benefit out of it. So with that, when you work, you start feeling that cash down payment, that happiness. Know that and this is also the fact, this is the next time which Swami is saying, know that this world is not we nor are we this world that we are really not the body that we really do not work. That at last we all know this that this is not the place where we are going to be through eternity. We know we owe nothing. It is a it is a stage we are passing through. It doesn't need any spirituality to understand that. So if that's the fact, and if just by doing good I get the happiness immediately. Why to be attached to your so-called body and your so-called the psych, physical existence and always think of that. Just do and be happy. That And we really do not do the work. Even if you, that till now, the discussion which we had, you'll find that the moment we have that sense of amnes, immediately the nature is working. Because we find everywhere it is the instinct through which it has happened. The nature is working. It will make you to... Conglomerate more and more and go for the division of labor and be more biologically evolved. The nature, the only thing which happened was you develop what's the difference between a stone and me? The stone doesn't have any sense of amness. The moment you have amnes, the immediately the nature starts its process. You don't have to do. So it is not we who are working. It's the nature it's working. Even modern psychology will say that not a single decision we take that which we can say I owe my decision. The mind through the process of evolution has developed so many mental modules, innumerable mental modules with all fixed stimuli response conditioning. And as per the circumstance, a particular module gets activated, which has its own fixed stimuli response conditioning, it responds as per the stimuli as it is fixed, giving us a feeling that we are deciding, but it has already chosen the response. We were discussing it in so many occasions so many times. So it is the nature which is working. It's not we are working. So just when that that work, the more the consciously, we can just think of reaching out in whatever possible ways. You may say I am a poor person. I cannot think of helping others. For helping not only the resource in the form of wealth is required. In this world, we find, especially we as the Swamis, we find the world at present. The biggest help is just if you can sit down and listen to others' worries for time being. The other suffering. It gives us such a tremendous feeling of relaxation to the other person. We don't have time. We cannot relate to others. Just sitting down and giving some time. For everything, we have a price tag. Even if you go to the counsellor, that one hour, the price tag is there. Nothing is without price. At last, we find the counsellor himself is having mental tension as well as his patient. Both has helped to drag each other down. Nothing has happened at last. Because the basic thing, the basic thing was missing, where none of them had the sense of altruism all were thinking of their personal gains and only how much I earn, how much I get. And that's the reason which we find is behind all the psychological uh, this, uh, issues at present. Behind all the psychological issues in one, and it is if there's only one answer to all the psychological issues It is a selfishness, nothing else. The world, the more and more we are becoming selfish the nature has given us that, uh, that, uh, that the instinct has evolved into the sense of that, uh, the reason. In, in the moment the instinct has become the reason and now I have the choice with my rational mind, I'm choosing, I actually choose something which is not even biologically correct. You just go through the entire process of evolution, you can never find happiness. Immediately you will be stressed the moment you think of yourself you are bound to be stressed there is no other way i still remember that you know the in uh, the so called the uh, communists they never believe in god so now in our uh, india in the west bengal the state uh, where we i was there for quite a long time in one of our most reputed hospital the hospital run by ramakrishna mission in his 75th uh, uh, Foundation Day, so the health minister from the communist government came to be the chief guest of that program, and we as Swamis were there. It was a huge gathering, and when the chief guest, as a chief guest, he started uh, his address. The first sentence he told, "You Swamis are extremely cunning, very clever." So we never understood that what he is going to say. He told that you have understood the real. Um, that the the way of getting happiness in life, that we constantly thinking of ourselves have developed blood pressure, diabetes, sugar, and all those diseases. And you constantly thinking of others are very happy. We find that. And that's the way I find we found a wonderful way that what Swamiji is saying, that he's also saying there, being a communist leader, he cannot speak of God. Whether he personally believes or not, at least officially, he cannot speak of God. He cannot speak of anything so-called spiritual. But what a nice way that, that he is interpreting the actions which that uh, any organization does in the sense of altruism. That The more you can reach out, you will find you are happy. It is something bound to happen because you are following the entire process through which the evolution has happened. You are happy. But at the same time, very interesting thing, that you are also becoming more and more non-local. The only sign of spirituality is how you are losing your sense of amnes. The amnes which is only limited to the psychophysical existence, the more it becomes non-local. That is the sign of spirituality. Instead of thinking of that your spiritual dimension, just think that how much I am becoming non-local. And that is giving me happiness. I'm getting the cash down payment. So I need not have to have any belief in the heaven or something. And you are one of just the most ideal karma yogi as any other karma yogis who have the faith in the divine. So without that, and you are not doing it for any uh, uh, goal which which you have to establish on some belief or which is in the future. You are just, your goal is something in the present. Doing good gives me happiness, that's why I'm doing it. But now what we discussed, we may feel that yes, it sounds to be a bit rational, but is it possible that we find that somehow selfishness is so much prevailing in the society? Is it really possible for all to understand this and become more and more altruistic? So that's what Swamiji will be saying now. Yet all this may seem to be rather quixotic and too philosophical. Though it is so rational, it seems to be too philosophical. Why it seems to be too philosophical? Because in this life, very interesting thing, we sometimes don't understand the very plain facts of life because of our extreme selfishness. It is plain, it is very palpably uh, with any, uh, with our common sense, we can understand, but we still know it's something difficult. You know why? Ramakrishna is to say a very interesting story, which is not in the Gospel, but Swami uh, Turyananda in one of his letters is mentioning. Uh, most probably uh, uh, Master the who is the author of the Gospel, he haven't listened it. So you know, these young boys used to go to the master on the other weekdays also. So that way, Yogananda have heard it from the master. A very nice story. that why don't we understand the very plain facts of life? Why? So he's telling a very nice story. That one day Guru Maharaj told related to this story that a king one day declared what he declared that if someone can explain him how to make popcorns, let us take that he told Muri, uh, but Muri more, many more will not understand uh, puffed rice or popcorn. How how if anyone can teach him how to make the puffed rice, he will give his he give half of his kingdom to him. And next day, there was a huge rush. So many people, all the subjects came. And the king gave very intent hearing to all. Whoever told, I can explain you, he gave a very intent hearing. After hearing, the king at last will say, no, I haven't understood. It went on and on. And at last, people brought all the utensils, the cauldron, the oven, everything to give a practical demonstration in front of the king. Just see how is it that you cannot understand? Again, he will see intently everything, but he will say I haven't understood. And then Guru Mahaj says first is to say very interesting thing. If the king says once I have understood, half of his kingdom is gone. (laughs) So now you will understand why we don't understand. So it is very, it's really, it's it appears to be rather quixotic, too philosophical. Is there anyone in this human society, who has really demonstrated it through their life, that no belief, nothing, just do good. And uh, and that doing good is good for you. And with that sense, anybody has done good, just with that feel good, you have, you just do good. Just by doing good, you feel good and that's why you do good. Has anyone, is there any example? Because so-called in the world, we always find that yes, there are many who can as if jump out from the selfishness, but they are generally fanatics. All the isms speak of fanatics, that this, they're also they think they, they are not thinking of God, but financial equality, that equality as per that, the, this, the, the, what you said as per our living standards are concept, uh, considered. The communism, socialism, all those, at last we find it ends up in fanaticism and they are perf- perfectly unselfish people that those lines I have not uh, uh, this uh, today reading it, but Swamiji is mentioning that at present world, people, if they have to think of un-selfishness, non unselfishness, there's unselfishness, that is they always say it is the only fanatics who can do it. Is there any example where the way which now we thought that just by doing good, it gives a feel good. And that's why we should do, do good. Is there an example? So yet all this may seem to be rather quixotic and too philosophical, more theoretical than practical. So now Swamiji will come. Let me tell you in conclusion a few words about one man, one man in history. Yes, there is one man who actually carried these teachings of Karma Yoga into practice. The way Swamiji is trying to interpret Karma Yoga as a conclusion, yes, he is having a person in his mind. That man is Buddha. So at last, Swami so is saying that man is Buddha. He's the one man who ever carried this into perfect practice. All the prophets of the world, except Buddha, had external motives to move them, move them to unselfish action. So you will find that all other prophets, yes, they have the idea of divinity, they're the god's incarnation. God, the idea of God, the idea of heaven, with all those in their background, whatever they're preaching, that is in their background. It's only Buddha, Is the only prophet in the entire history who actually is saying, be good, do good, because it is good to do good. Very interesting. We asked to give an example from the Buddha's life. He used to say a very interesting thing that how can you motivate a person to do good unless you show him that some future, some result which is he is going to accrue out of it. If you always think that yeah this is the result which we get out of it, that's why I wish I should do that and such and such action. How can a man do something without motivation? Buddha used to say, very interesting, that I have shown you the path. They will say that what's the goal, that whether God is or whether God is not, he never used to answer. He will just say follow the eight Ashtamarga, this eightfold path. Now, when someone asks Buddha that how can you motivate people to do work without the idea, without the theology so-called, the idea that we have fallen from heaven. In all the religions it is there, it is not only in Christianity. That that even in Hinduism, in Vedanta, that I am the Brahman beyond all the bondages. It is I, the Adam's and Eve's fall is in our Vedanta that only the language is different. It is the Ahankara. What does this, uh, this Adam and Eve, when he they ate the fruit of knowledge, what they had was Ahankara, nothing else. The sense that ego, that was the cause of the fall. Just, you can just equate these two together. That, and from that ahankar, from that sense of ego, all the dualities have uh, emanated out of it. So, in all the religions they speak of that coming from a higher level and your fault. The Buddha mentions nothing of that. He says, "This, do this and you yourself will feel that you are transcending all the so-called dualities of life. But the quick question is, how can you make one do something unless he knows where it is going to lead him. And Buddha used to in a very simple, all that these great personalities personalities had the capacity of explaining some abstract idea in the most simple language. The Buddha used to give a very wonderful example. He used to say, suppose a man is passing through the forest and from nowhere an arrow comes, An arrow has been shot by someone, it comes and strikes him, it pierces him. Now what should he do? Should he sit down and just go on contemplating who shot the arrow? What sort of poison he has used in the arrow? Why he shot the arrow? If by the time he just uh, have the knowledge of all these questions, he's going to die. His immediate duty is to forget about... Who has shot the arrow? What type of poison he is used? Why he has shot the arrow? Immediate duty is to get rid of the arrow and apply some antidote so that the poison doesn't act and save himself. So somehow because of the wrong way of understanding the entire humanity is, has, has been pierced by the arrow of selfishness. Buddha says that I am giving you a way out Forget about heaven and all those ideas. Do it and you get the cash down payment. That feeling of goodness is within you and that will motivate you to do good. There it ends. He's not speaking of any theology. Be good and do good. So that's how what Swamiji is saying is is that the Buddha is the only example in the entire history who has actually preached this, his, what he's teaching, that is the thing he has followed his, in his own life. In the words of Swami, he is the one man who ever carried this into perfect practice. All the prophets of the world, except Buddha, had external motives to move them to unselfish action. The prophets of the world, with a single exception, may be divided into two sets. One set holding that they are incarnations of God have come down on earth and other holding that they are only messengers from God. The incarnations of God speaks of the Son of God Jesus Christ, the messenger of God Muhammad of Islam and both draw their impetus for work from outside. Again we are saying, we are not uh, saying that that this is something just a mere belief and Uh, We need not uh, we criticize them. They are what they are saying is perfectly okay for the believers. But those who don't believe, is there no way out? So the entire this today's discussion is for those who are non-believers. You cannot convince them with all those ideas. Is there any way out? Yes. As an example, Swamiji is keeping neither Christ nor Buddha nor Krishna nor any of the avatars, but only Buddha. Buddha is the one, even those who are so-called non-believers, can resort to that life. Very interesting, in the present days in the secular education, neither Christ nor uh, Muhammad nor any of the spiritual illuminaries of our Hindu tradition can enter into the course of studies. Buddha also directly has not entered, but his teachings has entered. Throughout the in this at present, in the name of positive psychology, what is taught is nothing but the teachings of Buddha and Buddha alone. A bit modified, the language has been changed. There's my mindfulness, the this, what is it, the practice of meditation which speaks of loving kindness. In the universities, loving kindness, meditation is taught in positive psychology. Mindfulness is taught. And these are all the products of Buddhism. Now I will say 100 years back, this is a very recent development. Swami Vivekananda as a prophet is as if predicting that this is the ideal. This is the man. Because people are going to be the non-believers. It is very difficult to make them act in a very spiritual way from the spiritual standpoint. But after all, everyone wants to be happy. And it is out of the compassion that Swamiji is giving out a way. Which we, find, which we find the world have already started following, go to that all the secular academic courses, none can enter there. But Buddha's teaching, Buddha has, but with the name Buddha cannot enter. Buddha is also considered as a religious teacher, but whatever it may be, forget about the personality, his ideas have entered. It is pervading the university. If you go to any university and just search that the course which is most liked by the students, there's a huge, that there are so many courses which even you go to the university apart from this mainstream, the course which you are studying, there are some optional subjects which you can choose. The most, sub, the professors who are most liked are the positive psychology professors. Their courses, people having a huge rush in most all the universities. And may more and more students are taking recourse to that. That shows the trend and you will find now you can relate it with the words of Swamiji. So, Buddha is the only prophet who said, what he said, I do not care to know your various theories about God, that's what the universities are saying, students are also saying, what is the use of discussing all the subtle doctrines about the soul, do good and be good. Altruistic zine, that the students understand. Loving kindness gives you happiness, that the students Mindfulness makes you understand the idea, everything is a flow, nothing is going to be permanent. That's the student understands, and that's what Buddha is teaching. And this will take you to freedom and to whatever truth there is. We take way to be the goal, and that's why how we misunderstand Buddha. We will find that when Buddha, that then the question comes that then Buddha is he can we consider Buddha an atheist? Very interesting. All the Buddha's teachings when we go through in this point, we will now let us just say that the Buddha can be followed by the non-believers, but that doesn't mean that Buddha is the father of the non-believers, that he is a non-believer himself. No. Most of the people there will be quoting the Buddha's very second lecture. The second sermon, when he came out from his illumination, the second sermon speaks of the concept of Anatta. Anatta means in, the, uh, in Pali language that they cannot pronounce Atma, that is pronounced as Atta, even in Bengali we do the same thing. So the doctrine of Anatta means the doctrine of non-self. They say that Buddha himself have told there is no self. Very interesting. Ramakrishna used to uh, say very interesting story that we somehow had the habit of uh, eating away, torturing the text as per our biases. And that way our understanding gets limited. I won't, address. time won't, permit. you. We have you heard the story, the story of that, uh, that the weaver who was asked, who have already stolen one of the uh, cotton balls and was hiding it below the armpit. And when she was asked to dance, she couldn't dance properly. How can she dance? Because she's already hiding something under the armpit. She cannot raise it. She will get caught. So for us, all the ideas uh, of the these great personalities like Buddha. When we try to study, we as per our preferences, keep something below our armpit and we don't understand it properly. Buddha, if you re- really go to the original teachings of Buddha, nowhere he's saying there is no self. The second lecture is very famous. He's saying there are five flows, this body, our feelings, our mental formations, in all these flow, these are all flow. In the, all these, there is no self. He has that is no self is not a sentence. It is a phrase for Buddha. There is no self in body. There is no self in mind. That's the same thing in Vedanta also. We are saying, but about the self, he is quiet. In his life, it has happened when one person came to ask him, "Is there is, whether God is?" He kept silent. He never uh, spoke of God. He thought that most probably he doesn't believe in God. And then the next question was, "Oh, so there is no God, isn't it?" This is very interesting. Here also Buddha kept quiet. He never gave answer. He never gave answer whether God is or is not. Nothing, no answer. So that that speaks that he he doesn't care of any theories of God, whether it's existence or it's non-existence. When that existence of God is also a theory. Non-existence of God is also a theory. Because anything which I have not seen doesn't prove its non-existence. When I say God doesn't exist, yes, I haven't seen God. But can I assert that then anything which I haven't seen doesn't uh, is non-existent. That That so far again is a theory. So Buddha is not going to there anywhere. What Buddha told is a very interesting thing. That I never preach theories, God is or is not. These are all theories. I never preach. I preach the way. But the people take the index finger to be the moon. With the index finger, you're pointing to the moon. And a person, if he's, his attention gets fixed to the index finger, will he ever see the moon? He will never see the moon. With the index finger, you're showing the moon, and he takes the index finger to be the moon, especially it happens with a small child. You can never show the moon. So, Buddha is saying, I am only showing the way. It will take you to that, whatever it is. It cannot be explained because the thing can be understood. The one who has experienced in the word of Ramakrishna, can you explain the taste of clarified butter? The one who has eaten, he knows. But it's what test? Can I, if I try to explain, it's impossible. What's the taste of butter? I cannot explain. The only one who has eaten, he knows that what the butter is. So you have to eat butter to know the taste of butter. That kamunghi na jamunghi. See here also, that this being altruistic, what it leads to the happiness. I cannot explain those who have not ever resorted to altruism. So he has to do and feel it. There it the matter ends. Just as uh, that in the gospel, very nice thing is mentioned that that the uh, the, the, in a village, there's all the girls were all friends there's all the they were mates and one of them got married. After marriage, when she has a child, when the other girls are yet to be married, they ask, what's it is that what's the happiness is like to be a mother? The only answer was you be mother. Then only you know what's uh, the happiness to be a mother. Unless you are mother, you can never understand what's the joy that comes out when you become the mother then what's the joy you have to be a mother so no one can explain so that's the thing buddha is saying forget about the doctrines so now we will understand what a wonderful thing swamiji is explaining and which that's why that we are saying that the more the time passes the swamiji's teachings people will understand that how far-fetched it is what he's speaking is something wonderful no idea of god nothing but still there's a way out for the so-called non-believers. What a wonderful thing in his last conclusion in the Karma Yoga he is saying. So with his his words, we will just conclude today's discussion. His last uh, few words by which he is concluding his Karma Yoga uh, lectures that we will read out. He works best who works without any motive, neither for money, nor for fame, nor for anything else which includes heaven which includes liberation, forget about that. And when a man can do that, he will be a Buddha. And out of him will come the power to work in such a manner as will transform the world. This man represents the very highest ideal of Karma Yoga. So with this Swami Vivekananda's discussion on Karma Yoga ends. So so you will find by this time, the small booklet which we were studying for the last one year that so much uh, that profound ideas it actually holds and with this as an introduction swami vivekananda's karma yoga actually swami vivekananda also had mainly that though he's at the last speaking of buddha but throughout karma yoga he has not denied the theistic religion is out of compassion he's extending the karma yoga for all For the the mainstream discussion, we find the Bhagavad Gita was in the background of his mind. So that way Swami Vivekananda's Karma Yoga is a wonderful introduction for the study of Bhagavad Gita, which we were doing for the last one year. The next class, we will start the study of the Bhagavad Gita, the elaborate scripture, which is not only of Karma Yoga, it's the synthesis of all the Yogas, not only of all the Yogas, synthesis of all the philosophies, the dualist the non-dualist, the advaitins, uh, Dvaitins, Dvaitins Vishishtadvaitins, every, all these uh, this, uh, vadas, all the so-called darshanas has been wonderfully synthesized to give a philosophy where we can just synthesize all our faculties and it can lead to emancipation. Again, in spiritual sense, of course, and even that in our scriptures, they say that we don't know what is going to happen after death. That is a belief, again and again this word is used, now and here you can experience the joy out of it and that's the thing we will find in the Bhagavad Gita, that the, how to the synthesis of all the yogas we can transcend the all the limitations of the human existence that the Bhagavan Krishna will be teaching in a wonderful way and that study we will start from the next class. So with this
0: we conclude Karma Yoga. Um, shanti, shanti, shanti.